from Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time what is ultimately a really big week in the Fed right now. We are seeing a huge moment in labor where finally Fed policy is actually having the effect it was supposed to. We're seeing a lot of jobs decreases. Jolts came out this week way lower than it should have, and federal non-farm payrolls came out a little lower as well. So is the Fed bringing us into recession, or are they threading the needle and bringing us into that soft landing? That and so much more, of course, I'll be discussing with, as always, Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. What's good, Justin? How's your good Friday going so far? Good. Um, No pun intended, actually. That was the first thought that came to my mind, but... (laughs) It's usually the answer, yeah. So it's not not a super intentional pun, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Other than that, it's good. Um, there's, uh, There's always busy... Busy work to be done on a Friday, so it's good the markets are closed today. Things are a little bit quieter, um, but besides that, it's a, it's a good time actually to do this and kind of react to what's been happening over the the last few weeks with kind of a muted day here. Um, and then I'm sure this time next week when we record part two, it'll be madness all over again. And that's the whole point, right? Because there's a lot of potential like maddening things that can hit the market in the next week and a half or so. The big thing this week, like I alluded to, Justin, was we had a lot of labor data that came out a lot scarier than it seemed it was going to be. Uh, on Tuesday, Jolt's data came in and op- available positions in the United States were finally below 10 million for the first time since May of 2021, um, like since the actual recovery from uh, the COVID crash. So we thought, okay, the economy is slowing down really badly. But then uh, non-farm payrolls, which is like the best better metric came out only a little bit less than expected still almost 100,000 100,000 fewer available positions if you were added to the economy in the past month so just want to unwind this with you Justin here jobs are obviously the main leading indicator we get for if fed policy is being effective if the economy is speeding up or slowing down so you'll get this kind of jobs data and main question is uh, are we hitting a actual recession or is this really the soft landing we wanted to see? I know it's literally the beginning of jobs going down, but can you kind of take me through like layoff season and all that and what we can expect from jobs data moving forward? Yeah, uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see with the jobs data, to your point, how this all plays out, because this is a little bit preliminary. But as we know, the Fed's goal was to have a soft landing. So what that effectively means is they want to slow down the economy in order to slow down inflation but they don't want to do so at the risk of completely nuking the economy. So super high unemployment rate, people losing jobs, GDP crashing. I mean, they obviously want to avoid that as as best they can. Having said that, that's their secondary goal. Their first goal is a soft land, or the first goal is bringing down inflation. And they can do so with only like a minor reduction in jobs that they consider that a success. You know, What's realistically going on behind the scenes is that as jobs slow down, people like literally lose their jobs. So while, you know, from an economic perspective, it takes the the personal side away from things at the end of the day, they're purposely like like putting people through some pretty bad times in terms of losing their jobs and, you know, being able to afford to to live more or less. So it's it's pretty sad. It's pretty traumatic. But I mean, that's what it takes. It's either that or you go to the store and you don't have enough money to afford to be able to buy eggs. So <laughs> it's kind of like this this tricky scenario at the end of the day, like rather have some sort of income, which is the argument a lot of people on the other side fence make. But um, yeah, I mean, more or less, that's what's happening right now. So not to to get too sidetracked with a whole rant about why, why you know, jobs data is important or it's not important. But right now we're seeing the jolts data, um, non-farm payrolls, all the things of that nature come in a little bit lighter than anticipated. So what we're interpreting that as is, 
a we're starting to see this slowdown that the Fed had been promising over the last year or two of raising rates start to really materialize. Um, so you're seeing, uh, you know, people not hire as much, more people lose their job. Uh, we'll, we'll see what the unemployment rate looks like uh, in future months. But this is kind of the first of many signs that it's potential, you know, raising rates is working, the economy is slowing down. And this should really affect the demand side of the equation, which is if people are losing jobs, they obviously can't spend as much. So, you know, from a a soft landing, nailing the soft landing, you asked me, I, you know, I don't think we're we're in a position to say they either did or didn't. It's still going to be, you know, months of trailing data that will come out in the in the in the go forward months to understand what it looks like. So as we've been saying now for the last several months, we are definitely not on the other side of this thing. There's still a lot of risks hiding behind the scenes. There could easily be another Silicon Valley bank scenario with another bank or another industry in terms of things just blowing up. So again, as we've been recommending for the last uh, you know year, year and a half, it's just take everything with a, with a grain of salt and, and be cautious in an environment like this. Especially when we are right here at a critical point for inflation as well. We're really excited because the CPI print is going to come out next Wednesday, which gives us an idea of where inflation actually is. But of course, one major thing about the CPI that's been kind of hanging over our heads as inflation has gotten better and better and better since last June is the fact that largely it's energy prices that have been driving inflation down with some secondary effects finally materializing in last month's CPI. So this next one is going to be huge because we need to see things that are not energy driving that inflationary pressure down, especially because uh, we just got kneecapped by Saudi Arabia, Justin. Uh, OPEC Plus announced they're going to be reducing barrel uh, production by millions of barrels of oil per day uh, until the end of the year now after, you know, a mild decrease came out of the Russian sector. Yo, what's going on there? Um, is that just going to put us right back on the inflationary track or is there anything we can do here to kind of mitigate uh, the OPEC Plus cuts that we saw earlier in the week that kind of almost immediately left the news for reasons I don't understand? Yes, yeah, so that is a really good point. It was the, the front page of the news for a bit, then all of a sudden, yeah, to your point, it seemingly disappeared. I think our next uh, section might cover exactly what happened, what might have completely removed uh, OPEC Plus from the headlines, maybe on Tuesday, but we'll get to that in a second, Justin. Yeah, I mean, the, the initial headlines were that OPEC was going to limit the, the supply of oil, uh, which ultimately then would be an inflationary pressure, uh, which scared people. But to your point, it kind of just like disappeared from the news cycle almost immediately. So you know, there, I don't know if there's enough information right now to be saying exactly what's going on. But at the end of the day, the US became very, very much not energy dependent very quickly over the last few years. So for the last, you know, decade plus, we've been net exporters of energy, or sorry, net importers of energy. So we bought uh, our, you know, oil, gas uh, from other countries, uh, like specifically in, you know, the Middle East and, and areas such as that. And then since like really COVID started, we went from importing all this oil to now exporting it and producing it in-house. So you're starting to see a pretty big deviation in terms of energy prices across the globe. It's not as uniform as it once was. So, I mean, long story short, it's definitely going to put more inflationary pressure should it happen in Europe. Uh, it should be, we should be a little bit more protected from it here in the US. Um, but again, this has been a, a big point of contention right now in terms of tapping into our own oil supply reserves. Uh, it's a, a hot topic with Democrats and Republicans on both sides of the fence right now. So, you know, this just happened. And it, to your point, it's kind of been like removed from the news. Um, but this is, if we're looking at it in a bubble, or sorry, in a vacuum, you know, this is definitely uh, not good for inflation. Le you know, less supply of, of oil in a, in a high demand environment is ultimately going to push prices up even further. 
Exactly, because one of the things we have to keep in mind, too, is that one of the things that really saved us from an even deeper inflationary spiral was a milder winter in Europe. So thanks, global climate change. It came in handy for, you know, at least one year. Um, probably not any other years, by the way, given, you know, uh, the tornado situation we've been dealing with for the past week here in the larger United States. Anyway, um, so the main thing is going to be watching that kind of inflationary pressure because we are at these sort of lull in demand for oil, which is just going to start picking back up come May, June, July as more travel picks up, that sort of thing. It's kind of the natural cycle you see in these energy markets. So nothing to freak out about now, but definitely something to watch. And it won't be reflected in this month's CPI because the CPI print that comes out in April reflects prices in March when they were at their lowest. So uh, we may see, you know, the biggest sort of like... Um, surprise in terms of how positively inflation is moving but that can just move right back in the wrong direction come the may print but again we'll have to see how that plays out again wild times here not sure what opec is thinking i guess they're kind of pissed that we actually went ahead and opened that oil field in alaska for conoco phillips but again we'll see how all that plays out but then that kind of gets into you know broader things to talk about because you know i we are recording this podcast on the day the markets are closed and again during this point we're at the very beginning of q2 you know, we're not going to get earnings for a couple of weeks here. We're at the big lull in news cycle. So we have to look a little bit ahead and see what's going to be coming down, say, 2023, 2024. And so that gets us into, I know people are tired of hearing about this, but we haven't had sort of the market perspective on this. Obviously, OPEC got wiped away from the headlines on Tuesday when Donald Trump actually, you know, appeared in a New York court and was indicted on 34 counts of business fraud stemming from various payments made to various Victoria's Secret folks and porn stars and whatever. Um kind of a uh, people were anticipating a lot more out of the indictments and it kind of feels like it it can go either way but it obviously was a big circus that didn't kind of lead to a lot since the actual trial itself is not going to really take place till about october december so justin what are your thoughts here man in terms of like how this is playing out um the first u.s president to ever be indicted on actual criminal charges like actual felonies it's pretty wild nixon didn't quite make it but it looks like old boy trump did uh, how do you has this kind of play out for the markets like the market craves stability is this kind of a destabilizing event or is it just honestly kind of like more political theater than anything else <laughs> yeah i mean we talked about this before it seems like the charges are pretty loose uh they released it uh earlier this week in terms of actually what they were there's you know over 30 counts we're not going to dive into each specific one um but we're we're you know there's still a lot of information to be had He's not due back in court for months from now um, to ultimately see if this trial even materializes a whole nother story. So for now, you know, I think it's a lot of noise until we get more information and, and these things play out in real time. Um, ultimately, what's going to do then an effect to the election is, you know, one one of a handful of things. So you have people who are kind of your your diehard Trump supporters. Um, I mean, you know, he could he could do anything and it wouldn't waver their support if anything, him getting arrested you know, makes them further anti-government, anti-establishment, um, and probably pushes his narrative even further. But at the end of the day, Trump could do anything with with some of these folks and he'd get away with it. <laughs> uh, past that, you probably have then people like uh, who are a little bit more neutral and again, are taking either one stance or the other. Like they're seeing him get arrested and saying, you know, like this guy is out of control. He can't be the president and they're being pushed more towards the left. Um, and then you have people who are, again, who are a little bit more neutral, aren't sure, and they're seeing stuff like this and are agreeing with the narrative that Trump is putting out, that the government's out to get him, and you know, X, Y, and Z. Uh, and we won't comment on on that at all. But point being, they'll see that and be like, you know what, I, maybe I empathize with Trump a little bit more than I once did. So at the end of the day, 
Um, those are going to be people, I think, on the extreme right are the people who are supporting him and then the people who are kind of like in that swing category. But your conservative Democrats or sorry, your conservative Republicans, people towards this, the, the middle and obviously the people on the, the left side of the fence, it's it, it just I think Trump has become so controversial at this point that he's adhering to a smaller group of people that he once did. Um, and so when the election comes around, whether he's the Republican candidate uh, or DeSantis is or somebody else that we're not considering, at the end of the day, I, I would be hard pressed to imagine that they're able to take down the Democrats. Um, and it's not necessarily that the Democrats have such a strong platform. Um, if you look at right now, who would be the next likely candidate to run next year? I mean, it's probably Biden again, as, as crazy as that is to believe. Uh, and a lot of people would just vote for Biden out of the sake that he's not Trump, which is what happened in the last election for a lot of voters. So end of the day, if Trump ends up, you know, being found not guilty of these charges, he ends up running for president, takes the Republican nominee, you know, all the stuff that is very likely, you know, I think there's a very, very strong chance that the Democrats, you know, have another four years of power. Um, but we'll see how this all plays out. Obviously, these, these things change in real time and anything's possible. Yeah, the only real place this is kind of moving the inside baseball, so to speak, is within the Republican primary itself, right? Because further, like, it's what we've been talking about a little bit, like, these charges are kind of weak, and you kind of feel like New York threw these out as quickly as they could, given that uh, more and more it's looking like that if there are going to be indictments to Trump from the whole situation in Georgia, which I'll get to in a second, those are going to drop more in May, more next month. Uh, the situation in Georgia being Donald Trump was literally caught on tape asking the Secretary of State of Georgia to just give him enough votes to win the state of Georgia during his whole, you know, big lie, whatever you want to believe type situation where he was, you know, trying to see if he could, uh, you know, overturn the results of the 2020 election, which was just honestly, it's, it's a wild thing to listen to on tape. Like he's treating an election like it's a business deal. Um, that's something that is actually chargeable and something that's like actually like more of a real felony than, you know, uh, impropriety, like a little bit of impropriety with how you're using your, your own money to support your own campaign, which is what all these payoffs were. I mean, they were gross and weird, but like uh, the legality there is kind of, Goofy, and that's not even counting also indictments coming out of the special counsel looking into January 6th right now. So this could be the beginning of an interesting situation for Donald Trump, like you said, Justin. Um, it feels like New York kind of rushed to be first, given everything else coming down the transom. And all this has really has done is kind of cement Trump as the front runner for the Republican nomination. Like it hasn't really moved anyone on the moderate side. Like the thing Trump would need from these kinds of indictments is people on the Democratic side being like, oh, OK, yeah, that's it's going too far. But it hasn't like it's just cemented how deeply polarized we are. Like you either, you know, ride or die for Trump or um, are so thoroughly against him, you could never even consider voting for him. Like Trump is kind of like the moderate eliminator. Right. And it has cemented him as the front runner on the Republican side. Like DeSantis can't do anything here, really, to if he goes against Trump and calls him a criminal, he loses basically half the Republican base. And if he just kind of supports Trump in this, he doesn't really get any points either. So tough time being Ron DeSantis. However you feel about that's whatever, but it's going to get very interesting on the Republican side here if more and more indictments come down the transom. Because like you said, Justin, it's one of these things where like 2024 really kind of looks... And this is amazing to me. If you look at what happened in the 2020 election, what's happened since like Biden, 
you know, withdrew us from Afghanistan. His 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 uh, popularity rating has not recovered since then. It's been hovering at around 40 percent, but it's still higher than Trump's world uh, nationwide. Right. So you look at all of the all of these data figures and because of the Dobbs decision, because of the decision on abortion, like it looks like Republicans are basically unelectable in swing states. And you kind of need those to win a presidential election. We're getting a lot of wacky stuff out of like the House of Representatives for a while. But like you look at yesterday's election in Wisconsin, where a liberal finally won the Wisconsin Supreme Court by 15%. Things are looking pretty wild here. So it looks like, I mean, it really is Biden's election to lose, which is insane because he kind of promised us that we would just get one term of him and then he would pass the torch to somebody else. But no one really has materialized, right? Um, so when you when you look at that, Justin, like, is there any, like, is it just going to be like, let's just keep investing in green energy? Or how does the market react when, like, the, the results of the 2020 uh, election kind of already look cemented in? And do you feel like if, like, there's stickier charges against Trump, does that cause more destabilization or any at all or is it one of those things where like people just kind of expect this kind of stuff from trump and whatever <laughs> it's you know to your point he's such a polarizing figure i think at this point they would expect it to some capacity i think the bigger thing to like really like pay attention to is if these charges stick um and or you know the the amount of progress that he makes uh in the primaries and the elections you know how does that play out for the markets so at the end of the day from what we're seeing on our side of things data we've analyzed views we've taken um, however it plays out, like, you know, day to day in the long run, we believe that the Democrats will ultimately continue to hold the office. And if they do, uh, we've obviously seen a massive push on their agenda and how it's affected the market. So, for example, like one of the stocks that we really like and have liked for the last several years now has been First Solar. First Solar has been a massive beneficiary of the Inflation Reduction Act and a lot of the money that the Democrats are pouring into green energy. Um, so green energy as an, an investment should the Democrats ultimately continue to hold office, we'll have, you know, more tailwinds for the next four or five years. Um, and that's just one example. So the politics and the macro, again, we've been saying this for a while now, have more of an effect on the markets than they ever have before. So if the Democrats, you know, have a pro-green agenda, um, you know, pro like their, their high tax agenda, we just need to look at um, ultimately the parts of the market that will be infected. And there's a there's a ton of companies that will ultimately have some tailwinds and a ton of companies that will have some headwinds. So we discuss all of this and more kind of on our site and in depth more about like via the subscriptions uh, for companies that we believe would do well when they'll be do when they'll do well why they'll do well uh, and more. But ultimately, you know, at a very high level, that's uh, that's what we should be looking for. Exactly. And of course, audience, that does get us to the only ads we have in the mid-roll right now. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by us, Moby.co. If you want to get a better sense of our long-term perspective for all of these, you can check out our actual articles and our actual dashboards on green energy, on sort of the longer-term trends we see playing out. Our whole perspective here is going to be that sort of like three to five-year time horizon because it, while like in stock picking, that can be seen as a cop-out because on three to five years, most stocks win. We want to give you the best chance for the best possible gains over the that, that three to five-year time scale. You're not going to win this game by day trading. You're not going to win this game by making wild moves. You're going to be incrementally growing your wealth the smart way, and that's by having this long-term perspective. So to get that on green energy specifically, which we're going to be releasing more on next week, we have finally another industrial pick that fits in with the whole green energy narrative that's happening right now. You can check us out over check us out over at moby.co slash go. Get a free trial, see what we're all about. We're really revamping a lot of our application right now as well. Things are about to get a lot smoother, a lot better. We're really excited to keep growing. Uh, any Anything else on that end, Justin, or can, we, can I just go ahead and get back to the actual conversation? <laughs> yeah, no, I think we can dive back to it.
Awesome, man. Yeah. So and other other stocks that kind of work too. Audience, don't forget. Um, First Solar is great, but also you have to think about suppliers as well. First Solar is going to be really competitive with a lot of other EV plays down the line as lithium and cobalt and nickel start getting a little bit more scarce as we buy up, you know, all of it. Uh, so another supplier that's awesome is Solar Edge. They're an Israeli company that has been popping off because they supply the actual transformers that take green slash solar energy and turn it into like electricity that a house can use so we're really jazzed to see them there we have to put out a new price target for them because they just keep crashing through them as investment keeps surging into the space it's not uh, the u.s that's driving solar edge right now since they're israeli based now europe is stepping in trying to keep up with the inflation reduction act and giving them some tax breaks as well so they're just popping off as well and i'll have another industrial view for you guys next week as well as again we keep expanding to you know make that portfolio a little bit more defensive but justin I can't help but notice that as things get better for certain EV plays and certain like renewable energy plays, things get shakier for others. Um, this is really inside baseball in the green energy space, Justin, but tax breaks for EVs are getting a little bit more complicated. And as such, uh, Tesla just announced or not announced, but just crypto on their website did their fifth price reduction in the year. It's only April now. And we've had five price cuts from Tesla's for a long time. Tesla, of course, has the best margins in the business, basically, but with um, price cuts coming in, um, is Tesla kind of approaching a bad situation as EV tax credits kind of get more complicated for them to hold on to? Or am I overreacting here as I, you know, not obsessively, but occasionally check the Tesla website and see the price of a Model 3 just keep going down and down and down and down? <laughs> yeah, I mean, from the consumer's perspective, it's obviously great to see these cars become more affordable. Uh, you know, take outside any of the implications of it. Like it's it's an awesome car. It's fun to drive. Like if it becomes more affordable, that's great. Um, and for those of you like unaware to dive a little bit more deeper into what Peter was talking about, you know, as of April 7th, Tesla cut prices another, I think, two to six percent uh, on its website uh, and ultimately drove that discount down a little bit further, even though it could hurt profitability. Um, and that's their fifth cut, um, I believe, in the last year or two. To your point, as uh, I think, I might, I, think I might be counting one of the December ones as this year, but still, you know, five cuts, five cuts in three months is pretty crazy. Yeah, no, exactly. And so with the uh, the tax credit uh, potentially becoming less of a thing, that obviously hurts their bottom line even more. Um, <laughs> and those are those tougher U.S. standards that we're referring to. So, yeah, I mean, if it impacts them, it's obviously going to impact uh other companies as well at the end of the day the stock is up 70 percent this year so like enthusiasm from investors is still pretty strong um again also having said that the stock is down 50 percent in the last year even though it's up 70 percent this year you know so there's still a, a long time for it to go in order to reclaim its all-time highs it has to increase over 100 percent to get back to that 400 level um but ultimately again if if you know green energy via evs are the future Tesla continues to be the leader in the space. If you take out, you know, if you completely take out all the tax credits, I believe Tesla is still one of the only, uh, if not the only profitable EV maker in the world. Um, so they're in a position to ultimately be able to scale this better than anyone else and do so profitably. So yeah, maybe it hurts their profitability, but it, if anything, widens the gap between them and all of their competitors, because then they'd be able to boost production. Um, relative to their competitors and continue to own more of the market and you know factor in the fact that they are also now continuing to build more plants uh doing more vertical integration are supposedly looking into even mining they're getting rid of some of the rare earth materials needed for uh the batteries and you know they just keep innovating uh maybe if it's not in the front end it's in kind of the 
the infrastructure of the car, but ultimately that's going to have massive implications and is why, again, they're so profitable and are able to kind of cut costs, even if it hurts margins. So end of the day, if you're a believer in the space, Tesla continues to be one of the leaders and, and strong innovators. And if you're one of the folks who keeps emailing us from a uh, Tesla Schwartz portfolio, I just want to remind you that while, you know, Tesla may technically be overvalued compared to the rest of the audio industry, I can guarantee you that the market will stay irrational longer than you will stay solvent, which is my favorite John Maynard Keynes quote. So just keep that in mind as you move forward, because as they continue to innovate, they'll continue to sort of maintain their position with their valuation, especially considering so many other companies are entering into the EV space right now. And Tesla just keeps, you know, maintaining that dominant market position again, up 70% year to date, still down 40% compared to this position last year, but really interesting to see where they kind of recover from their December, 2022 lows. Either way, Justin, so that's kind of where we are in terms of our long-term narratives, right? Like jobs are weakening in a way that is, you know, both bad and good. It could be literally too much. We'll have to see, you know, the next two weeks, so to speak. Um, at the same time, inflation is hopefully on the right path. If you are listening to the recorded version of this, you are closer to the truth than we are. We will be eyeing this week's, this month's CPI really, really closely because it's going to be potentially the best inflation report we get for a while, considering the potential rise in um, energy prices. WTI crude is now back up to $80 a barrel from a low at about 66 earlier in March. Lame. So really interesting to see how this all plays out. But Justin, that does kind of get us to time here. Any final thoughts from you, man, as we kind of go ahead and roll through this again, having long-term perspective, maybe we're at the soft landing, maybe we're at the beginning of a recession. We'll know in a couple of weeks, anything we can keep watching, any benchmarks we can set just so we you know, have a better sense up to the minute as this information comes out, or is it one of those things you just got to keep watching every data point as it comes in and hope no banks collapse from here until July. <laughs> yeah, I think right now it's just watching, you know, every data point that comes in, understanding it. Um, and again, that's why we're here every week to break it down. You can go to our site, check out more. Um, and we break down earnings calls, you know, live information, live data, and just kind of what happened and what it means so that you ultimately can understand how to position yourselves. Um, yeah, I mean, then from the from the banking side of things, let's obviously hope that uh, that another bank doesn't go out of business and completely blow up the system. Um, there's obviously a lot of other black swan events that We've discussed in previous episodes, you know, such as like commercial real estate and a lot of the unrealized losses there. Um, so there's still like, you know, like we said in the beginning of the episode, a lot more potential black swan events around the corner that we just need to be cautious about. You know, outside of that, there's still a lot of good opportunities. We've written up a ton recently about on running, Lululemon, Nike, a bunch of people in kind of the sports retail space. Uh, we talked about recently about Alibaba uh, and split up a lot of their businesses to create additional shareholder value. There's a there's a lot of interesting companies still doing very well right now. And, you know, while the world feels like it's blowing up, if you zoom out, the markets are actually up this year. So, again, cautious optimism is is what we recommend. Uh, continue to to invest smartly, be defensive, and we'll try and help you out the best we can. That's the most important thing to keep in mind, audience. There's always a winning narrative, even when there's broader losing to be happening. And that's why you hang out with, you know, the folks here at Moby.co. We try to find you the, the winning narratives within a broader losing environment. Yes, the 2010s are more fun. Easy money was way more fun. But this, you know, is a still winnable game if you can kind of maintain your positions and make sure you sort of allocate where you're going in the in the appropriate way. So really appreciate y'all hanging out with us, having that perspective with us as we keep helping you maintain that long-term perspective. This is the easiest game in the world to win but the only scary thing is you only get one chance to play it so hope you keep playing it well hope you keep playing it judiciously no no wild moves we're gonna be updating you on the crypto markets next week after ethereum's big shanghai update on wednesday or thursday depending on like you know how things shake out which could potentially put billions of dollars of sell pressure on the network 
no views there yet, but we'll see. Uh, crypto may also be back soon once we get past that one last hurdle of potential volatility within one of the main crypto assets. So audience, we really appreciate your time, but it is honestly a good place to end it. So just so you know, this podcast is Bruce hosted and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual value of this comes from the analyst team here at Moby.co, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. If you want more of our perspective, as always, check us out at Moby.co slash go. Get a free trial, see what we're all about. Find us on Instagram and TikTok while TikTok is still a thing as well. And make sure you sign up for our email list where we give you sort of like a daily pulse check on the market, so to speak. Join, you know, there's almost hundreds of thousands of us there kind of like analyzing the news as it comes in. It's a great perspective to get sort of day by day so you get that pulse check. Either way, audience, thank you so much for checking us out. Find us on all of our other channels, but for now, that's a solid place to end it. Really appreciate your time, audience. But as always, we can leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.